llama shorts for those moments when you are stretched on time. We could go into episode after episode of this, but I pulled out a couple of things. I really just wanted to get a little bit more of your perspectives on to dive a little deeper. And um, if you haven't grabbed a copy of this book out there, please do. I'm going to link it to the show notes because it's an amazing book. Now, Joe, I, I, I'd love to discuss uh, some of these uh, points you want to bring up. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. The first one I wanted to bring up, it was a quote by General Cohn. It said, not everyone deserves a mentor. And that, you know, that one really spoke to my heart because, you know, as a leader, you want to mentor and coach everyone. Right. But I think about it on the other side of things when as a follower, I'm also seeking mentorship, but I also feel like sometimes I lean on the side where I feel entitled to it. Right. And and I think that was just a a great quote. And I just wanted you to elaborate on your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I really think what he was talking about is it's incumbent on all of us as we're striving to become better leaders to, you know, to to understand it's our responsibility Mm -hmm. to be an active part of this whole mentorship process. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, he had mentioned things like, you know, mentorship is always going on around us if we look for it. Yes. You know, as we're sitting, uh, you know, as, as, as we're getting an operations order from from one of our leaders, you know, when we see how that leader uh, delivers, a, you know, task and purpose to us, mm-hmm. you know, we could learn from that. You know, if we and, you know, for anybody, you know, outside of the military working in the civilian sector, you know, if as as you, if you're working in a factory, you you could kind of take a look at how the foreman interacts with people in a factory, and determine, okay, you know, what could I learn from the way this leader is interacting with his people? You know, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily a good leader. We could learn as much from poor leaders as we could from from good leaders. But let's assume the foreman's a good leader. So how could we model our way of doing things after some of the good attributes we see from from this foreman in the factory, for example? So so the bottom line is, you just have to be open right. to taking those mentorship opportunities in and, you know, not expect some, you know, sage gray beard is going to come over to you and, and, and pull you aside and sit you down and impart mm-hmm. some great knowledge. I mean, that, that's not usually how life works. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's basically in observing the behaviors and actions of other leaders that we really are able to then decide, Hey, who, who do we want to really select as a mentor and who do we want to model our way of leading after. And that, to me, that's really what mentorship is all about. And for people who don't want to do that, you know, those are the ones General Cohn was talking about who don't deserve a mentor. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you don't keep an open mind and you're, and you're not looking to take advantage of those coaching and mentoring opportunities, you probably don't deserve a mentor. And that, I really believe that's what he was talking about. And I, I just want to say about General Cohn, I mean, God rest his soul. He did pass away a number of years ago, but he was an outstanding leader. When when he spoke at the infantry conference I attended that year, he happened to be the TRADOC commander that year, four-star general, and and just an outstanding leader and, and someone that I think really took pride in the message that he conveyed to others and in the mentoring that he did uh, for our Army. So, you know, just, just, just an outstanding leader, General Cohn. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are some great points. And, you know, I, I think about it often, how many times I've heard people say they want feedback and then you give them feedback and it might not be what they wanted to hear. It might be what they needed to hear, but it's not what they wanted to hear and they shut down and it's like, yeah, yeah. but they're always wanting that mentorship and that feedback until it's not what they want to hear. And, and that's what I, I, what I think about when General Cohn says this. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, you've got to put your ego aside mm-hmm. and be open to the perceptions of others. Mm -hmm. And if you're just looking for positive feedback all the time, I I really don't think you're going to be able to grow and you're going to be able to learn very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I think as a leader to create that from bottom up mentorship, you know, that environment where you're actually getting that effective feedback. And so you can grow. There's that split moment where they give you that feedback and it might not be what you want to hear as a leader. It might be impacting your ego and you have a decision to make at that moment on how you're going to respond and how you behave in that moment is going to determine whether or not you're going to get more feedback or you're never going to get feedback again from that person. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Hey, the, the other aspect of mentorship that I really believe in is you know, mentorship in my mind is, is 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like we only get mentored by people who are in a, uh, you know, a higher rank than us or in a higher level position than us, but we could mm-hmm. be mentored by somebody who, who works for us. We could, we could be mentored by a subordinate yeah. uh, in our unit. And, and again, just being open to understanding that, you know, just because we're in a leadership position doesn't mean that we know uh, you know, every everything about everything, and we know more about everything that's going on than somebody who might be reporting to us. So just just being open to understand uh, that that even people who are in a lower ranked position than we are could mm-hmm. we could still learn from them. You know, yeah. and we need to be open to that that type of uh, mentoring. Uh, you know, just be open to that type of mentoring from people who work for us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you, when you have that, when you display that as a leader, that you're open to mentorship from all around you, uh, you really start cultivating an environment of psychological safety, in my opinion. You know, I think that people feel safe to be able to provide feedback and that's how an organization gets better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, leaders have to be approachable like that. I mean, if a leader is creating an atmosphere where people who work for that leader don't feel safe to maybe say, hey, you know, you may want to look at doing it a little bit differently, you know, based on my experience. Mm-hmm. Last time we did this, I, you know, this was a great lesson that we learned. You may want to, you may want to consider that. You know, there, there's some, an article I was uh, reading a while back that talked about the airline industry. Hmm. And it, it talked about how, you know, years ago, you know, the captain of that civilian airliner couldn't be questioned by anybody. And because of certain airline accidents that occurred, that culture started to change. And now there's an expectation that mm-hmm. any member on the, of the crew could speak up and offer suggestions to the captain if they think something isn't going exactly right. And, yeah. and I think organizations do run better when there's that type of culture where everybody feels safe offering their recommendation. Yeah, I mean, it's a good business model, too, because I think that Korean Airlines was impacted dramatically by that. They were having um, issues with the captain and it had, some of it was cultural also that they were just following orders no matter what the captain was saying. And they crashed a lot of aircraft for a while. Now they're one of the best airlines, period, out there. Yeah. So I guess the I guess the moral of that story is if you don't want to crash your organization, you know, set an environment where people feel safe making those type of recommendations. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, in that environment, I, those episodes I had with a fighter pilot on here and um, and just a, a, an amazing leader in himself, um, Fats Kennedy, and he was talking about, you know, the debrief after a mission. I mean, it's blunt. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. if you're you're the ranking person, you're getting you're getting feedback on things you could have done better. And it's, it's direct. And I think that that environment creates a level of excellence. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Joe, that whole after action review process mm-hmm. that came out of, you know, from that post-Vietnam era to building the, the army and military to what we are today, you know, was, was having frank dialogue after a training event or after an operation about, hey, th- these, these are things that didn't go so well that we, we believe, you know, we need to take these steps in order to improve upon those things. And, and whenever I would facilitate one of those after action reviews, one of the key kind of ground rules to start out was, hey, we cannot have thin skins here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about improving our ability to be successful on the battlefield. So you can't allow yourself to have a thin skin. You know, mm-hmm. if there's a way to improve, we've we've got to identify that and talk it through and come up with specific actions we could take to do that particular operation better in the future. Yeah. And once again, that's that moment where, you know, as a leader, if you respond, even though after you've told everybody we can't have thin skin and you come back with a bunch of excuses or uh, reasons why, and, you know, and you're not taking accountability, your credibility drops. You, you know, Joe, you hit the nail on the head there. And something I talk about a lot is leaders could verbally put out their intent or you know, their policies or, or the type of behavior they would want to see in a, in a unit or an organization, or they could write, write out, you know, what their command philosophy is in, in, in a letter, et cetera, et cetera. So you could verbally say something or you could put it out in writing, but the, the way it's really going to get solidified is when people see you act that way. You know, it's it's one thing to put something out verbally or in writing, but it's another thing to back that up with your actions. And as you know, you know, from your experience in, in the military, that soldiers, airmen, Marines, sailors, whomever, they're going to look at what the leader does rather than what the leader says. And that's what's really going to inspire those people to understand that, hey, this leader is the real deal or not. Yeah, it just reminds me of something that uh, Richard Shell is a Wharton uh, business ethics professor that was on the show a little while ago. And um, just a great, great lesson. And he took me to leadership school, just like you do often. He said, you are not who you say you are. You are what you do. Right? Absolutely. And, yeah. and and it doesn't matter. You can even lie to yourself. But if those actions yeah. don't align, it's not going to work out for you. Yeah. You, you know, I like to tell the story when I took command of the 28th Infantry Division, I, you know, I put in writing that demonstrating initiative is worth the risk of making honest mistakes. Hmm. Cause I believe that was important for our soldiers throughout the division to demonstrate initiative. So I said, yeah. you know, when subordinate leaders demonstrate initiative, that is worth the risk of making honest mistakes. And my Sergeant major came over to me and he said, you know, sir, what soldiers are going to be looking for is the first time somebody demonstrates some initiative mm-hmm. and makes an honest mistake because they demonstrated that initiative. They're going to be looking at you to see how you react to that. Yeah. How you respond to that. Like, are you going to, are you going to be okay with that and Mm -hmm. and help coach and mentor that person to learn from those mistakes? Are you going to chop their legs out from underneath them? And I said, you know what, Sergeant Major, you're exactly right. You know, Mm -hmm. the the soldiers, you know, see that I put this in writing, but they're going to, 
they're going to watch to see how I respond the first time that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that was actually one of the notes I took that I wanted to talk to you about. So I think it's awesome that you brought that up, that demonstrating initiative. And, you know, recently I was talking to somebody and it kind of goes back to the feedback discussion is, you know, people want feedback, but then they also sometimes lean on feedback. They're saying that I didn't get feedback, so I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And there's a reasonable expectation that we should have with people that they act with character, honor, you know, and, and those things like I shouldn't have to tell you, you have to show up to work on time. You know, yeah. as an initial expectation, those are reasonable expectations. And one of them is funny because somebody basically alluded to the fact that, well, you you saying that you want me to take initiative, but you never really gave me that expectation. And I'm like, well, I mean, me telling you that you need to take initiative kind of defeats the purpose of taking initiative. Like you have to take initiative. That's part of taking initiative is you realizing that that's just an expectation, you know, and it was just a funny conversation that we had. But I, I love what you talked about with demonstrating initiative, because when they do that, when, when we allow our um, subordinates and team makes to do that, they are going to make some mistakes, right? But something that you wrote in there that I thought was super important, because we oftentimes will say, I encourage you to make mistakes. Well, it's like, no, I don't encourage you to make mistakes. I encourage you to have the courage to take that initiative and make decisions. And you may make mistakes from that. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And you point out something, mistakes are only valuable when you learn from them. And I thought yeah. that was just simple, but very powerful comment. Because mistakes yeah. are, don't mean anything if you just keep doing them over and over again. Exactly. And, and, and you're, you're right. You know, we, we don't want our people to go out and make mistakes <laughs> every day. Right. You know, but we, we want them to demonstrate initiative, understanding mm -hmm. that if people move out of their comfort zone, which, mm -hmm. you know, as a leader, I've always wanted my folks to, to move out of their comfort zone. When you're, when you're moving out of your comfort zone, you're going to you're going to make a mistake now and then. Right. And, and so it's kind of like, okay, when you make that mistake, if, if you don't take the time to learn from it, mm -hmm. uh, then you're only going to make that mistake again and again and again. And now it's an issue. Right. You know? But if, but if you take the time to learn from it, and when I say learn from it, what does that mean? Learn from a mistake, you know, mm -hmm. that, that means, okay, how, what might be a better way to do it? And, and what do I need to do? What actions do I need to do in order to change things? So I'm the probability of me making that mistake again is going to be very, very low. Mm -hmm. You know, so so maybe you need more training. Right. Maybe you need, you know, maybe you need a little bit more education on something. Maybe you need a little bit more, you know, maybe maybe it's a physical fitness issue. I mean, right. you know, whatever the case, but learning from a mistake implies that now you've got to take some action, mm -hmm. which is going to change the equation. So you don't make that mistake again. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Right. Yeah. I, I think a bit about it, like um, either, you know, bowling or playing golf. I, I tell people oftentimes it's consistency, but the best golfers and the best bowlers aren't necessarily just the most talented people they're most consistent and the second thing is they know how to adjust the quickest like yeah. if you're if your lane conditions aren't good you don't start making 15 adjustments so you you figure out what the adjustment is that you need to make and the people who do it quicker are typically the pros and i love like everything we're talking about is flowing off the things on my sheet right now that i wanted to bring up because uh, you brought it up you said that we should be trying to become masters of our craft we should be you know working hard to be the most technically competent people and that's where the mistakes can come into play because you're going to try to master your craft. And when you do that, you're going to put yourself outside of your comfort zone, as you mentioned. And I love what you said, take on the tough assignments because yeah. 
you know, in chapter 12, decision-making, I think I highlighted the whole chapter, John. I'm like, I so much good stuff in there. And taking on tough assignments is so vital. I think people even unintentionally sit in their comfort zone because this is where I'm good. They know me as a good leader in this place. I was like, no, you need to go to places that are challenging because it's easy to lead effectively in a very stable, very normal environment, right? You're just managing the day you're going through it, but try putting yourself in an area like where the walls are falling down around you quite often, right? Yeah, That's yeah. where the real leadership starts to develop and you start gaining that experience. Yeah. You know, it, it's just like any muscle that you're trying to develop, you know, mm -hmm. you've, you've got to, you've got to, you know, like if, if you lift weights, you're actually breaking down the muscle, right. You know, um, and, and in order to make it bigger and in order to make it stronger, you've got to do the same thing as, as you're trying to become a master of your craft. Like you just said, you've, you've got to look for ways that is going to stretch you to the point where you're probably going to fall short mm -hmm. in some way. And then you learn from it. You adjust, you know, you understand, okay, I need a little bit more training here. I need a little bit more development here. And now you go for it again. And now hopefully the next time you're actually going to make that, 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 that goal that you're shooting for. But yeah, unless you're willing to, to strain a little bit and, mm -hmm. and take the risk of, of falling short, you're never going to be able to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important because I think that a lot of times we get um, in the military and I'll just speak for the Air Force because that's what, you know, that I know the most is sometimes we get wrapped around trying to get to that next level, that promotion or whatever it might be. But we often don't spend enough time cultivating ourselves to get to the point where we do get promoted. We're effective in that. We're not going to be perfect. You know, we're always learning, but we're going to be the most effective we can be when it's time to be promoted. And I think that's important because what you said about the tough assignments, I was listening to a chief buddy of mine, Chief Kane, he was doing a professional development discussion and he, he split half the team. And he said, on this side of the wall, if you want to go to a very nice environment, like it's, it's Hawaii, it's pretty relaxed. You're going to be able to spend a lot of time with your family. You're going to have a lot of downtime and all this stuff. You can, who wants to go there? I mean, whoever wants to go there, go step on this side of the room. The other side, it's going to be a real tough environment. The weather is not going to be nice. Uh, you're going to be working long hours. Everything's going to be broken. You're going to be fixing processes. Whoever wants to go there, go to that side. And the, and the room split and people went to both sides. And he said, neither one of these are wrong answers. But I will say the ones that are going to the harder assignment are more likely to get promoted and deserve to get promoted because they're going to go through some smoke. You're going to go through some smoke to get there yeah. and you're showing that you're a proven leader. And I think that's very important that people to understand. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh was just a great technique that he uh, explained there. And, and he's right. You know, I mean, sometimes there's a, there's a point in your career or a point in your life where maybe you do need to take a knee a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. Understandable. But that shouldn't be how you want to manage your entire career. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if, if that's the case, yeah, you're probably not going to get promoted. And you're probably, and more importantly, you're probably not going to gain the respect mm -hmm. from your peers and from your subordinates. And I, I think there's something to be said for having that respect from your peers and those you lead. Yeah, I, I, it comes out to John. I remember um, when I was at one installation for a long time and I was well known on the installation and I was doing really well, very peacetime environment. Um, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy would happen there. And I was there for a long time and they, people kept on saying, you should move, you should PCS, you know, cause it'll, it'll make you a better leader. And I was like, oh, I'm a good enough leader already. I don't know if I need to move. Right? I mean, I was just very cocky, young NCO. Yeah. And then when I PCSed out and moved to a couple different places overseas, 
is that the environment was very different. Mission sets are different challenges, you know, coming out of everywhere. And and when I came back to that same installation later, I, w- I realized that I could see things a little bit differently. And when COVID happened, it really, it really showed the, the people that stayed there for a long time, it really exposed some of their shortfalls when it comes to leadership, their decision-making, because they had never been yeah. exposed to crisis environments. And then they were trying to act standard operating procedures and it doesn't work in that environment. So it, th- that was very telling to me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. And, you know, Joe, we're talking a lot about people having the personal courage mm-hmm. to to take these risks and and to make mistakes and, and, and learn from the mistakes because it does take a great deal of personal courage. At the same token, I also want to talk about the leadership responsibilities, though. And, mm. and I, I remember reading uh, a, a book by Jack Welch, and, and he was the CEO of General Electric from 1981 to 2001, quite a famous you know, chief executive officer. And he wrote in one of his books that in his, uh, you know, traveling from one facility to another within the uh, General Electric Enterprise, that he found that one of the biggest things that mid-level executives struggled with or mid-level leaders struggled with was having the courage to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of thought critically about what he was writing there because I thought to myself, if if you're a leader and you're saying, hey, none of my subordinate leaders are demonstrating the courage to make decisions, you know, maybe you need to look at yourself in the mirror, too, mm-hmm. because how do you respond when somebody demonstrates initiative or, or makes a decision that isn't necessarily the right decision? And, and how do you respond to to help those people learn from that? And if you're the type of person who, again, is going to chop somebody's head off every time they make a wrong decision, people are going to be hesitant to make decisions. Yeah. You know, if we're going to chop somebody's head off every time somebody demonstrates initiative and makes a mistake, people probably aren't going to demonstrate initiative. So I think if you're a leader and you're saying, you know, you know, not enough of my people are making these decisions, not enough of my people are, are demonstrating this initiative, maybe there, there might be a case of looking at your behavior of, of how you operate when when that occurs like have you ever been at a meeting and a leader said hey you know i want i want people to speak up at the meeting and tell me you know tell me what you think and (laughs) give me a recommendation and so somebody at the table speaks up and offers a recommendation and the leader says that is the stupidest idea i ever Mm -hmm. heard how could you be so stupid to offer up that recommendation Mm -hmm. you think anybody else at that table is going to offer up a recommendation right right probably not because Mm -hmm. You know, just just the way the the leader reacted when that happened. So I I think leaders have to look at themselves in the mirror sometimes and and understand what type of environment are they creating there. Yeah, and and more times than not, what I've seen, I've seen a couple of people get dressed down in a meeting before, like you described. Yeah. But I see more often than not the leader that's saying, and it kind of goes back to that consistency and message that we talked about earlier. They say that they want to hear these ideas, but when they're said, they're either dismissed or not even acknowledged at all. So you're like, yeah, you said you wanted them. And maybe you didn't yell at them, but you didn't even acknowledge that something was said as an idea. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, that's another good leadership technique. If somebody does come forth with a recommendation, it doesn't mean you as the leader have to use that recommendation. 
And again, you could see the bigger picture probably. So there might be a reason you want to, you know, go down a, a different path or go in a different direction than the recommendation that was offered up. But I think a good technique as a leader is, you know, try to get back with that person and explain to them why you didn't use their recommendation and why. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to coach and develop a future leader mm-hmm. by spending the time to do that. Plus that person knows at least you heard them. Right. You know, at least least you considered what they said. And yeah, now they understand, okay, he's going to go down a different path. He explained to me why I've learned from it. Now I've got a little bit better development as a leader. So I think that's just a a, a great technique. Leaders should use, yet some leaders don't use that technique. For more on this discussion, be sure to check out the entire episode. Be safe, stay healthy, keep growing. Llamas out.